The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. This morning's reading comes from Colossians chapter 4, starting at verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how, how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greeting to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. I'm excited about this passage this morning, but before we dive into it, I do want to make a couple of additional announcements. If you're visiting with us today, please fill out this bottom portion. Uh, You would be absolutely amazed at how many people don't fill out this bottom portion of the bulletin. Uh, But we want to know who you are, so please fill that out. Let us know you're here. Um, We're just going to put you on a list so that you receive our weekly email Um, And also just uh, extend an email and text if you give us your cell number um, to welcome you to downtown church. So please fill that out, tear it off, drop it in the basket when it comes by. Also, um, I know the Titans are playing for, uh, you know, the divisional championship today, but uh, you can, um, you know, have your phone going while you patch holes at the office wall. Uh, We've got a brand new office space, and we are renovating it. When I say we, most people think, oh, yeah, so you're paying somebody. No, we are renovating it. And so um, Lehman Roberts, which uh, is a company that Alan Halliday works for, they employ or or deploy all 300 of their um, employees every MLK day, which is tomorrow, to do service projects, and they're doing 20 service projects tomorrow, and one of those projects is to paint our entire new office. It's about 4,000 feet, um, and incredible, but we've got to get it ready, and we've had people working on it. If we have 8 to 10, 15 people show up today at 3 o'clock at 356 South Main, right across from SOB, 356 South Main, it's on the realm, um, then we can knock it out and Lehman Roberts can come in in the morning, paint those walls, and it'll look brand new uh, by maybe even, well, maybe not this time tomorrow, but at least tomorrow at the end of the day. So uh, show up 
at the office today, and uh, we'll uh, get to know each other by doing a little work, listening to the Titans uh, take over KC. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's, uh, let's pray, and then uh, we will dive into this rich passage. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that you're a God that has redeemed a people for yourself, that you are doing a mighty work in this world. Your kingdom is expanding. Your church is um, being renewed. And yet, oh God, we need more renewal. Uh, We need to understand your vision for your church Uh, Lord Jesus, we need to be revived in the very realities of who you are and what you are for us. We need all of the teaching that Paul gave the church in Colossae so that we can see this radical new community that was just read to us and described by Paul in these last remaining verses of Colossians. And so, God, I pray that you would come. I pray that, Lord Jesus, you would be lifted high in our hearts and minds this morning, that you would help the blind to see, the deaf to hear, that, oh God, we might see you do a work among us at Downtown Church that is unmistakably a work of Jesus and not a work of men. Oh God, would you come by your Spirit Would you accomplish your purpose in the coming moments? And we pray with great expectation, for we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. For those that may not know, uh, the vision of Downtown Church was and continues to be a very personal and relational vision. It, It mirrors, really, What we just read in the final verses of Colossians, you heard the very personal and relational greetings and and, and Paul's comforting words about his friends and partners and servants in the gospel. And so downtown church, the goal has always been highly relational, highly personal. It has been to see the gospel of Jesus Christ so embodied so embraced and embodied in a people that a radical new community was formed that showcases the kind of Savior that we serve. You see, the gospel is all about reconciliation. It is about reconciling men to God and men to men. This is the work that God is doing in the world. It is the work God is doing. God does not just want to save us for us, but God wants to save us for us. He wants community. He wants family. You see it in Genesis. What is the apex of his creation? It is man. And yet you see the tragedy of the fall was man is turning against men. Women are turning against women. Children are turning against children. Brothers turning against brothers. And so the gospel strikes right there. And where Jesus is lifted high, there must be evidence of that. And that evidence is that men and women, boys and girls that once hated each other, now love each other. That that those are skeptical of each other are now trusting one another. 
This is what Paul has been contending for throughout the book of Colossians. We see it in in Colossians 3.11. Paul says this, here, and when he says here, he means this whole work of the gospel in our lives, this is where it's moving us. This is the purpose of it. Here, there's not Greek and Jew. There's no Greek or Jew here. Here, there's no circumcised and uncircumcised. Barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. When Christ is lifted high, all prejudice vanishes. When Christ is lifted high, love replaces hate. When Christ is lifted high, friends, people become friends that once were enemies. That's what we see, not just in Paul's teaching, but I love these last remaining verses because we see it's basically a glass-bottom view. We can sit in the boat, we can look through the glass, and we can see down to Paul's community. Who are Paul's friends? What was his community like? And friends, what we're seeing is that literally every category in chapter 311, Greek or Jew, uncircumcised, circumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, all of them are right there. Onesimus was a slave, the others were free. Um, Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice were Jews, the rest were Gentiles. You have Nympha, the woman, and, and every other um, um, passage that uh, Paul u- utilizes this, there's no um, you know, Greek or Jew, uncircumcised, uh, circumcised. He also uses gender, male or female. We have Paul lifting up Nympha as the, one, as the host of the house church in uh, Laodicea. You have everybody re- represented here. Um, think about Paul, who was a chief uh, Jew, a, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He did not talk to Gentiles. Women had no place in his life in terms of respect. He would not lower himself to interact with a slave. And yet his whole community is turned on its head. He is now friends with people at cost to his friendships with his former community. They hate him for it. But he doesn't care. Why? Because Christ is all and in all. Dear friends, this is what we need to see and this is what we must have. It is so... It it is... um, it's confusing sometimes when we talk about the multi-ethnic, multi-class church thing because sometimes Jesus gets lost in that. And what I want to try to do, I'm going to do my best with the help of the Holy Spirit, and that is to show that, no, you don't pursue multi-ethnic, multi- you don't pursue diversity for diversity's sake. You get Jesus and then diversity happens. When you are repenting, when he genuinely is the operating principle of your heart, then you're not looking for cultural likeness, ethnic likeness, people that just look like you, have the same job, drive the same car, wear the same... No, Jesus is all and he's in all. And it absolutely revolutionizes everything, including your community in the church. Friends, the reason that we don't have Diversity in the church today is not because we don't want diversity. It's because Jesus. We've lost Jesus. So we've got to do a little work. You say, Richard, that's just too hard. This whole multi-ethnic thing is just too hard. Paul would say, yes, it's hard. We see it right here. Point number one, Jesus empowers, but he doesn't perfect 
the practice and experience of diverse community. Let me just get something absolutely clear. Moving from casual to intimate, moving from um, disengaged to community life and engaged and active and embracing other people will absolutely wound you, devastate you, hurt you at the deepest levels. Not because church is failing, but because you and I are part of it. And we see that in Paul. But we have to hear this. Most people come to downtown church, the people that leave, most people that leave do so because they've been hurt. And Paul says, what? Look at this. We have to do a little work, but it's not hard at all. It's really just get under the surface a little bit. Just find out who these people are that he's in deep community with. And, and we see so many principles that I think might help us um, as we look at those he was in relationship with. First, the first thing I think we can learn is God is rarely finished with us and others in relationships. He mentions Mark. We know Mark is the writer of the gospel, so he's got to be perfect, right? No, Mark was on Paul's first missionary journey, and he abandoned Paul and went home. He said, peace out. Um, and so he leaves. And so on the second missionary journey, Barnabas, who's mentioned here, uh, Mark's cousin, Barnabas advocates to Paul for, on behalf of Mark to get Paul to, to loosen up a little and let him go on the second missionary journey. And guess what happens? Paul says, no, you're not bringing Mark again. I saw, I saw his character. He jumped on the boat, and then he jumped off the boat. We're not doing that again. And yet, by the end, 12 years later, what happens? Paul is lifting Mark up as one of his closest friends. Dear friends, what does that teach us? It teaches us that we have to remember in our relationships, though people hurt us and though we hurt other people, God is not finished. Don't let those relationships, don't let that relational hurt be the end but hope for the gospel in our relationships. Hope that God brings change. Hope that God restores. That's the first thing. But then the second thing, and it seems, this seems to contradict what we just, I just said, and yet both are true. And why we have to walk by faith and why Jesus has to be everything to us, not just something to us. Second thing we learn, people are not always what they seem. He mentions Demas. In um, uh, verse 24 of Philemon, which is only one chapter, um, Paul refers to Demas as a fellow worker. And yet later, hear the words that we read in 2 Timothy 4.10. Demas has deserted me because he fell in love with this present world and he has gone to Thessalonica. And we never hear about Demas again. Demas fell away. He fell away from the faith, he fell, fell away from the church, he fell away from his relationship with God. Dear friends, there are going to be people that we embrace that fall away, and it hurts. Why? Because we are to go from casual to family, from casual to intimate. 
We are to be family in the church. And what Paul is telling us here, what we see from his experience, is some people we're going to let in close to us, and they're going to leave, and it's going to kill us. It's going to kill us to watch it. People are not always what they seem. Thirdly, because community is a kingdom priority, we all have the ministry of reconciliation. The the relationship between Paul and Onesimus. Onesimus was a slave. If you haven't read Philemon, um, you can do it like quickly. It's one chapter. But here's the story in a gist. Onesimus was the slave of uh, Philemon. And um, Onesimus had enough, probably stole uh, whether money or property from Philemon and took off. But then he becomes converted. He becomes a Christian, and he comes in contact probably through the witness of Paul. And so he, um, he, he uh, is in relationship with Paul, and Paul is writing to Philemon saying, take this brother back, and he says, look, I've got authority to demand that you do it, but I'm not doing that. I'm appealing to you as a brother. And he calls Onesimus his son, one that has, has captivated his heart, and he says, take him back. He's a benefit to me, and he's going to be a benefit to you. He's a changed man. And so Paul is seeking to reconcile two people that um, it would seem by worldly standards could not be reconciled. The thief and the one stolen from. And Paul says, come together, there's been change. Onesimus is different. Friends, you and I as believers have the, the ministry of reconciliation simply because we're Christians Do you know about relationships that are not reconciled? God is calling you to be a reconciler. God is not calling you when your friend called and says, can you believe what this jerk did to me? To say, oh yeah, I always knew they were a jerk. But to be a reconciler. To say, brother, sister, do you know what God did for you? Do you think maybe that has some impact? on your your relationship with them. Reconciliation, we're all called to it. And then fourthly and finally, kingdom relationships demand that we not allow what God is not doing blind us to what God is doing. It's right here in verse 11. These are the only men. He's referring to Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice. Jesus, who was called Justice. He says, these are uh, the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Now, it's easy to miss it here. But what Paul is saying is, these are the only um, brothers that I have that are like me. Ethnically and in every other way. These are my only friends that, that really, I feel like, get me. Okay? And he talks about that in Romans 9. If you've ever read Romans 9, you see Paul is, is um, absolutely destroyed by the fact that Israel has rejected the Messiah. And, and, and what he says, he even goes to the point of saying, if I could, I would trade places with my brothers. What he's saying is, I would, I would wish that God had chosen them and not me if I could. That's how bad Paul is hurting. He feels isolated and alone, misunderstood in the church because he's a minority. Dear friends, if you're part of downtown church, there are going to be moments when you feel misunderstood and lonely. 
because there's so many differences among us. And, and, and you're not going to get the same kind of respect that maybe you got at a church where everybody was just like you. It's not going to feel comfortable all the time. But note, Paul doesn't say, well, I'm going to go start a church of all Jewish converts. No. Jesus is enough for him. He didn't have to form a church that was culturally and ethnically Jewish, familiar and comfortable. For that's not the church, but it's a club. You see, broken relationships, deep hurt, betrayal, repentance, forgiveness, reconciliation. It's much easier, dear friends. Yes, the argument. Oh, it's much easier just to stay at home and listen to Tony Evans or Tim Keller. Yes, it is. But that's not God's design. You don't need isolation. You need community. It's the only way you're going to be changed. This side of heaven, the community of heaven, and that's what we're after. We're after the community of heaven. That's the goal here, is to, be, is to shadow glory in our midst that the world might go, okay, maybe there's something to this Jesus. The only way that's going to happen, it's created through repentance and faith, not attendance. Did you hear me? This side of heaven, the community of heaven, is created through repentance and faith, not attendance. And yet, relational unity demands everything that the gospel is. There's hope. It's beautiful. Relational unity, this diverse community that's described here at the end of Colossians, is empowered by the gospel. So second, the gospel of Jesus is its own mission, and a mission that unites. Penny Hardaway. All I have to do is say the name. And if you're a Memphian, if you're a true Memphian, there is nothing negative that's coming to your heart right now. Penny Hardaway. He's the man. Why is he the man? Because it's not just because he was an NBA player, one of the greatest of all times. It's not because he's an amazing you know, basketball player. And it's because he loves Memphis. He's a Memphian. And his love makes him an advocate. How did he become, how did he obtain, and then kind of lost with Wiseman, but how did he obtain the number one recruit? How did he beat out Kentucky and Duke and get the number one recruiting class in the country his second year? Love. He loves Memphis. Nobody's saying, oh, yeah, he's going to win the national championship and then go to Kentucky or Duke. If that happens, all of us will be heartbroken. We're just going to shut Memphis down. It'll be over because, I mean, he's not in it for that. Nobody even questions that. He doesn't love basketball. He loves Memphis basketball. He is the face of Memphis. You advocate, though, for what you love. What do you advocate for? Do you advocate for Jesus Is it hard for you not to talk about Jesus? You see, this is what is driving Paul. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 of Colossians. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 
I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Do you see what he's doing? He's writing from prison to firm up the faith of the Colossian believers. But why? That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. What is the danger of false teaching? Paul is not just a theologian. He's not just a highbrow theologian. He's a theologian for the sake of the mission of community in the church. Because if we disagree as to who Christ is, then we, our community is broken. So Paul is contending that Jesus is king. He, it, it, it's by him all things were created, through him all cre- things were created, and for him that all things were created. And if we don't get that, we're going to be a divided church. But if we believe that, we are unified in love. Why? Because it's through believing the beauty of Christ, giving up our own reign and bowing our need to the reign of Jesus that we experience his love that then is poured out in our body. If you are not here for Jesus, Paul is saying, then you are going to be a detriment to the church, not a benefit to the church. That's why he's lifting Jesus so high. Chapter 3, 1 through 4. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not that are on things that are on the earth. For you died. Something's happened to you, church. You died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Christ is all and in all, chapter 3, 11. Christ is everything. He is the creator king, the one through whom and for whom all things were made. Paul loved Jesus, and Jesus was his mission, for you spread what you love. Dear friends, what you should be thinking right now is, what are those things in my life that are getting in the way of loving Jesus and him being supreme in my life? It's not, oh, I don't have enough diverse relationships. No. It's what is standing in the way? What is captivating my heart more than Jesus? Because listen, listen to his community, Tychicus. He says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. It was Jesus. It was his, his ministry in, in Christ that, Paul, that, that made he and Paul brothers. Um, Onesimus, no other reason to know him. In fact, no other reason to be in relationship with him if it were not for Jesus. Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice are fellow Jews who have accepted Jesus. But, it, but the others in his life have fallen away. Epaphras... Um, verses 12 through 13, Epaphras, who's one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus. He doesn't define him by his job. He doesn't define him by his nationality, ethnicity, or culture. Epaphras, a servant of Christ Jesus. Is that how we view each other? Is that how we see each other? John, a brother in Christ. Rob, a brother in Christ. 
Edith Christmas, a sister in Christ. Is that how we see each other? Or do we see each other, oh, Rob, that does, I don't know, some kind of weird tech thing at some company, and I'm not sure what, you know, Edith works for some non No, brothers, sisters in Christ. This is my family because we are united by the blood of Jesus. Um, that's what Paul says about Epaphras, a servant of Christ greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayer. See, they're on mission together, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he's worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. They are on mission together. They're spreading the gospel together. Okay, what they do is secondary to who they are in the mission of spreading the gospel of Jesus. Because Jesus captivates their heart, not their profession, not their cultural similarities or differences, but the gospel of Jesus. Luke, who's in the company with Onesimus. Luke is a doctor. He is an educated person. When, when Paul says uh, uh, Scythian, uh, uh, barbarian or Scythian, he's talking about education. A barbarian was somebody who had no education. A Scythian who was a highbrow uh, intellect in the culture. We've got Luke, the doctor, the writer of the gospel, hanging out with Onesimus. People that there's literally no other reason for them to be together, but they value the highest thing together and the highest one together whose name was Jesus. Demas, the reason they were in relationship. Why? Because he was a fellow worker, at least at that time. Nympha, how did he know Nympha? She was hosting the church. They were in mission together. They were doing community together because they were on mission together. And finally, Archippus. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you've received in the Lord. Dear friends, are we having and witnessing that kind of community where we are all praying for one another, actively aware of how the other is seeking to bring the gospel to bear in whatever context that we have been called to, is that the nature of our relationship? Or is it something else? All of these are drawn together by the message of the gospel of Jesus and the life-changing, reorienting impact Jesus has had on them individually. The reason that the church is not diverse is because Jesus is not most important. And I I tried to illustrate this several weeks ago. I think when I preached on, yeah, it was when I preached on 311. And I want to take another shot at it. Uh, This is my last shot because this is the last sermon of Colossians. So hear what I'm saying and not what I'm not saying. When we seek unity across racial lines, educational lines, cultural similarities, um, gender, um, just common agreement, and, well, I'll just stop there. When we do that, we don't need Jesus in that kind of community. And in fact, when we, when we do seek relationship and when we are brought together with people unlike us and our sin is exposed, 
not only will we need Jesus, but God is using those relationships for that very purpose to show you your need for Jesus. This is why it's so tragic when, when we come into the church and we're like, this is just too hard. Well, I'm going to go find a church where everybody's just, where I can, oh, I can just breathe again. Where people get me. Where I don't feel. But here's the deal. You, you, you don't go to another church, you go to Jesus. That, that's the whole point. The whole point. Do you think I don't need Jesus pastoring this church? Do you think there aren't days that I'm not thinking about leaving this church over the last 11 years? I have needed a present and real and huge Jesus. But the beauty of it, the beauty of the suffering for Christ, for, for counting the cost and, and experiencing the cost of following Christ, has given me relationships that have changed me. Friends, you will not be able to repent of prejudice and racism in a church of people that are all your color. Oh, I mean, we're not racist. How do you know? Have you ever listened to someone unlike you? Have you ever, had, have you ever asked somebody... Do you see racism in me? Do you feel love? My, do you feel like I think I'm better than you? Have you asked those questions to someone not like you? The only people that are going to ask those kind of questions are the people that want more of Jesus. You see, that, that's, that is the goal here. The goal is give me more Jesus, but in order, to need, in order to get more Jesus, you have to see your need for Jesus. And when we don't go to Jesus, then we will go to another church, or we'll just disengage and attend. Friends, none of us are here for the completely pure and right motive. All of us need to be asking, am I here because of Jesus? The answer is no. And so, what? show me, oh God. Spend time with God. Show me, oh God, what I need to see. Expose me, O oh God. Show me my hidden thoughts. Show me my hidden motivations. Oh, but you don't know how much I serve, and I just was in the nursery last week. Stop that. Be silent before God. Show me, O oh God, what, I, what you want. Accomplish your purpose for me being in this community. Just being here is not enough. What is your motivation? I see so many false motivations. My own false motivations have been exposed in relationships in this church over the years. I've, I've told you this so many times, but it, it's, it's just so true. And I, it is, I literally, you know, I was caught in the idolatry of the Reformed faith. The Reformed faith holds a lot of truth. But the Reformed faith does not practice that truth, unfortunately, in a pure and holy way. It can become almost cultish. And so me and my reformed thinking and all of my reformed experience came thinking I was going to bring truth to African Americans. There it is. That's how ugly my heart was. I thought it was pure. I thought it was great. You know what? God took me, put me on the ground and said, uh, not only are you not doing that, but your African-American brothers and sisters are going to teach you more about me than you've ever known. And you have. And I am forever changed by it. Do you hear that? 
You have taught me how to worship. There's not even a, 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 a chapter of the Holy Spirit in the Westminster Confession of Faith. You have taught me who the Holy Spirit is. You have taught me so much more than I've ever taught any of my African-American brothers and sisters. And it's so real that I, I, I literally could never go back. But friends, that's what God's done in me. What does He need to do in you? What is it that He needs to do in you? How does He expose? He, he's exposed so many subtle things. Um, I'll be honest, I, I never, and I didn't write any of this down. I'm about to get in trouble. Uh, I'm, you taught me about the Holy Spirit, so here we go. <laughs> I'm turning off the iPad. Holy Spirit, I'm all yours. Um, whoa, I forgot what I was going to say. That's probably good. Um, <clears throat> so many subtle prejudices in my life. I didn't understand white privilege, and I still wrestle to understand white privilege. But you know what? You know what I realized is... I wouldn't be the pastor of downtown church if it wasn't for white privilege. I'm not the smartest guy. I, I'm not the most gifted guy. But my whiteness really allowed me, and the calling of God, it's crazy how God, there's so many complexities to his calling and all his purposes in our lives. But I was a known entity to a large white church. My white privilege got me here. God is using it. Hallelujah. <laughs> what does God need to show you? How does Jesus need to be everything to you? When you lose friendships, when people don't understand you, is Jesus everything to you? So thirdly and finally, the gospel is not merely mission, but it's the power and comfort and hope of the mission. And you say, where are you getting the gospel? I don't see it. Okay, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 2, you see Paul begins with the gospel, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Grace. And then he, what are the last words of Colossians? Grace be with you. This is too hard, Paul. Oh, but his grace is sufficient. Oh, I feel so weak. Oh, but His grace is made perfect in the midst of your weakness, not your strength. Oh, but I can't do it. Oh, but, I, I, but I'm a God whose grace, by His grace, can do all things. And therefore, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, if you're looking to Christ to strengthen you. Do you see this gospel is power? That's what he's, this is all that, that Paul has been just begging the Colossian believers to, to believe. Chapter 2, therefore as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Don't just sit passively by like a spectator. Get to work, walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. Follow the traditions of old, follow the reformed traditions, follow... All these other things. No, according to the elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. Follow Jesus, not your tradition. For in Him, the whole fullness of deity dwells 
bodily. Holy. And you have been filled in him. Who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of a flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by, the canceling, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Dear friends, do you know why Jesus came, why he lived under the law in your place to fulfill it for you, why he went to the cross and became your sin, why he went into the grave and then three days later conquered the grave by coming out? And why he is coming again one day is so that you and I can, have, can, can be absolutely transformed and consumed, overwhelmed by the reality that God loves us. So that that becomes our driving mission. And that becomes the driving principle of our community and nothing else. Hallelujah. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life that you're looking for and everything that you're looking. Your job, your marriage, your children, your home, your fitness, your financial goals. The streets cannot and will not give you what you really want. And if they do, oh how sad it is. God does not judge us for, um, for our desiring. He judges us for not desiring enough. Because when we are bold enough to desire enough, then we know that we're desiring Him. Dear friends, your desire should be so high that you know that only the God of heaven and earth can really fulfill you. Losing 10 pounds? Come on. Saving a few hundred dollars? Come on. Getting married? Come on. Jesus and only Jesus. Everything comes under his kingship. If you stop being the king that you want everyone and everything to bow down to, Jesus becomes the one your knees buckle for. Mm. My, my. And we watched the Grizz game the other night, the Cavs, that alley-oop to Jay Morant, John Morant. My, 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 my. That dude was so high. I mean, I think he was at the top of the, the, the uh, FedEx Forum. Hand back here, grabbed the ball, slammed it. Dominance. Dominance. I came off the couch. I was alone. <laughs> I'm like, holy. What just happened? I, I love DVR, man. I got to see that again and again and again. Holy, that is, defies gravity, defies everything. Dominance. Oh, our king has dominated sin and death. Our king has dominated your guilt, your shame, your hopelessness. He is the answer to everything. That's what Paul is saying in Colossians. Stop your foolish religious behaviors and get Jesus. Quit looking to these practices in your life to somehow replace Jesus. Get him and you've got everything. Oh, is your hope this morning that you are a child of God? 
reconciled to him and reconciled to the person sitting next to you because of the Jesus of these tables. If that's your hope, dear friends, then we've got a pretty good future ahead of us at downtown church. (laughs) When Jesus becomes everything, dear friends, the world, the devil himself, can't stop a community, can't stop a, a church that is eaten up with Jesus. May it be so. May it be so. May it be so. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you are enough. Thank you that you're enough, though we look to everything else around us to be enough. Oh God, bring us to these tables this morning, hungry for you, letting go of the things of the world, saying, yes, I will persevere, I will experience the goodness of the Lord. May that be the motivating and controlling reality of our hearts. May it be the very essence of our community at Downtown Church. Forgive us, O God, for how far short we have fallen. And, O God, would you empower us by your Spirit to believe the gospel, to love Jesus, to receive his love this morning in a new and living way. Bring revival to our midst, O God, that we might rejoice at Him, not the work we do for other people even, but for Him. May He be the very essence of our rejoicing, O God. Make it so for the glory and fame of Jesus and for the good of your people, we pray. Amen. As we bring our tithes and offerings, as we prepare to come to this table, what are you loving more? What has more value in your life than Jesus? Give it up. Beg God to help you give it up because he's the only one that can really satisfy your soul. Come to him this morning, even as we come to these tables.